0: A reading from the book of Luke. Luke 5, 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Toby. Um, why don't we pray, and then I will, I will start. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, Lord, we long to hear more of who you are, to see you more clearly, and uh, Lord, to have the reality of that vision live in our lives by your Spirit. And Lord, we just pray you'd use these words now. Um, Lord, just to set our hearts on fire with love for you, with a vision of who you are and with your spirit, Lord, to live out a vision of who you are as your church and as your people. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Yes, I was wearing a dress yesterday in the cathedral and I was getting some funny looks um, from my family uh, and everyone else outside as well, but it was a lovely, um, a lovely day and um, yes it's it felt very strange to be I've been away for like the last uh, three or four days on retreat um, with big moments of silence I don't know how anyone is with silence in the room but I've never experienced silence I haven't experienced silence for a long time we've got two little girls um, and uh, but we were silent from uh, sort of uh, early evening through to lunchtime the next day each day so it was like a breakfast time with the other guys who were being ordained and we weren't allowed to talk to each other and you just had to sit there and sort of eat your cornflakes whilst sort of working out how do you do this in an appropriate way socially you know you want to say hi but you can't you're staring into your milk you know covered cornflakes with such intensity and depth like you never have before because you're not really allowed to do anything else anyway it was an interesting experience um but, um, but let's talk about the main thing. Um, I, the, the passage that we uh, read tonight um, is one of my favorite, favorite passages in Scripture. And um, I've loved it for... Uh, every time I look at it, I'm, I'm reminded of Jesus in a fresh way. There's something else that jumps out to me about uh, who Jesus is. And, um, and I just thought it'd be great to start there tonight. And, um, and we'll look at a few other, other bits as well. But I, I thought it'd be good to... Um, to look at Jesus through the lens of one of his friends. So, so we're gonna look at Jesus tonight through the lens of Peter. So we heard about Peter in this story um, that was just read to us by Toby. And I wanna look at um, how Peter gets to know Jesus and what we can kind of glean from that uh, as his church as well. So, um, so if you don't know about Peter, um, Peter's a very normal, normal guy. He's a, he's a fisherman and we, we know from the story that uh, he's not always successful Uh, as a fisherman so apparently uh, at the beginning of the story where Jesus is walking alongside the lake of Galilee as it's sometimes referred to or the lake of Gennesaret um, uh, he sees at the water's edge two boats and there are people gathering around him and he's thinking about, Jesus is thinking about can I use this boat to sort of utilise my message to make this work and uh, and he steps into Simon Peter's boat, this guy called Peter and um, he asked Peter to put out a little from the shore. And this moment for Peter changes everything for him. It changes every part of his future, of everything that will happen in his life from now on is different because Jesus has stepped into his boat. Jesus has stepped into the boat of a normal Galilean man who was fishing. Now we know from uh, from reading about Peter and understanding a bit more of the time that there wouldn't have been anything special necessarily about Peter. He wasn't a a, you know a rich theologian with understanding of God that would you know enable him to to really grasp who Jesus was in his fullness and to communicate that to other people. He wasn't particularly wealthy. He wasn't well known necessarily apart from locally in in the community. He wasn't wasn't special by any means. And yet Jesus chooses to step into Peter's boat. This fisherman from Galilee who apparently can't even catch fish when he goes out to fish. The God of the universe. God made flesh. Jesus steps into his boat. It's, It's an amazing thing just to think about that. Uh, for a minute and then the story goes on and um peter peter lets jesus teach from the boat right so he puts out a little from the shore and jesus teaches the people from the boat peter's listening to what jesus is saying he's he's starting to sort of soak up some of jesus's message but just just the first parts of it just the beginnings of, of jesus's message and and then jesus says to him right now i want you to go out into deeper water and I want you to let down the nets for a catch. And Peter, as we've heard, turns to Jesus and he says, Master, we've worked hard all night, but we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, he sees something already in Jesus. He sees an authority, he sees something different about Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is yet, but he sees something different about him. There's something different in the way he speaks, in the way he talks, in the way he moves, in what he asks people to do. And he says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets for a catch. Now, this is where, like, in my head, I love going to sort of Steven Spielberg mode of just imagining what it looked like in that moment to catch such a great number of fish that you can't begin to properly bring them into your boat. And as you do, your boat begins to sink. And they call to the second boat, to so their partners in the other boat, to, uh, to James and John, come over, you know, come over, help us, help us. And it says that they fill both boats so full that they begin to sink. It's just nuts, isn't it? Imagine that. Imagine being a fisherman for your most of your life. You know, you've been out all night, you haven't caught anything, and suddenly this guy gets into your boat. He tells you to go back out to where you know there aren't any fish. He tells you to put your nets in the in the water. And you catch more fish than you have ever seen in your entire life before. So full that the boats are sinking. And it's at this moment that Jesus reveals something to Peter about who he is in this this miracle. Because Peter hits the deck. He falls to his knees. And he says, what does he say to Jesus? He says, get away from me. He says to the God of the universe, get away from me. For I'm a sinful man. He realizes in that moment more of who he is, but he realizes that Jesus is revealing something of his identity, that he is God. God is in my boat. God is in my boat. And he's freaked out by it, and he knows in that moment that he's not worthy of God being in his boat. He's not worthy of this person. You know, we don't, we don't at this moment, he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is, but he's getting an idea he knows he's not worthy of this person being in his boat and yet this person chose to step into his boat, God chose to use his boat and the thing I love about um, about the whole picture of this story is the boat is, is for Peter it's, it's his everyday life it's everyday life for Peter there's something, it rings in my ears that there's something about God wanting to step into our everyday lives in the same way that he stepped into Peter's as I read that passage and that Um, and that story Jesus wants to reveal to Peter and to all of us the heartbeat of God he wants to reveal who God is that was what he came to do to reveal who God the Father is and that God looks at Peter this normal man who doesn't have anything special about him and he wants to say I want to step into your Life. I want to step into your everyday, normal life. I want to get to know you. And ultimately, I want you to know that I love you. That Jesus came to reveal the love of God. The love of God for Peter and for us. I, um, uh, John asked me if, I, if I'd share a little bit about my story um, as we uh, go through uh, Um, this little talk and um, I I grew up in a place called Chorley Wood um, which is sort of North London near Watford if you've ever been to Watford or Grotty Watty as we call it Um, and uh, I grew up in this place called Chorley Wood we we moved there when I've got a twin brother identical twin brother um, and uh, we moved there when we were about five and every person I think that my parents bumped into in Chorley Wood was a Christian and they, they didn't really have any active faith. They'd been to church, as, uh, I think, as children and were taken along by their parents, but they didn't really have an active faith. They didn't really have a relationship with God. And suddenly everyone that they were meeting uh, was a Christian and went along to a church that was called St. Andrews. And my parents were intrigued, I think, by this. And they were like, what, what are all these people who believe in God and who seem so content and so joy-filled and, you know, uh, so they did this thing called the Alpha Course. And um, if you haven't done the Alpha Course, it's just it's about explaining who Jesus is and who, what the Christian faith is. And at the end, they give people an opportunity, if they'd like to, to, to come into the Christian faith, to, to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And my parents did in that moment. I can remember, for us, our lives completely changed. We suddenly weren't playing football on a Sunday morning, but we were going to church as a family, and um, we weren't that happy about it, to be honest, to begin with. Um, but um, after a couple of years of going to church, um, I was sat on a Sunday morning in this. Um, we met in this like little community hall in a corner of Chorley Wood. It could only. It must have felt like. 40 50 people and next door uh, someone lived there someone lived next door who's from the church so the children's work used to happen in their front room and there was only really me and my brother who were in the children's work so sam and i were in the children's work sat on the floor and on the sofa was this man called george knight and uh, who was just well i don't know how to describe him just just the most wonderful elderly man who loved Jesus and who walked with him for years and years and years and uh, George had a blackboard in front of him and he wrote out on the blackboard this verse um, John 3 16 which says for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that anyone who might believe in him might not die but have eternal life and he wrote it out in chalk on this blackboard and then um, he started to rub words away and he asked Sam and I, my brother, to repeat back the, the verse over and over and over. Every time we'd repeat it back, he'd rub out another word and we'd repeat this verse back to him. And by the end of doing it, when I could say it like I just did, it, it sunk in, you see, it's a good technique. Um, by the end of saying it, there was something in me as an eight or nine-year-old that was like, wow, wow. God so loved the world. He loves us, he loves us, that he sent Jesus. And I knew what Jesus had done. I knew that Jesus had gone to the cross. I knew that Jesus had given his life that we might have a relationship with God. I was like, if God loves me that much to send his one and only son, then I, I want something to do with this. And I remember George leading us in a little prayer where we just said, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you did give your life for me. I, I want to follow you. And, um, and then he made us run into the church next door, out the front door, run into the church and then recite the verse um, to the whole congregation. And he was absolutely wild about it. He loved it. But for me, that was the moment I became a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus like an eight or nine-year-old and um, with this man, George Knight. And, and then it wasn't until a few years later that I began to really understand um, more of what that meant more of what it meant to walk with Jesus. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But I want to tell you about a second story from Peter's angle, okay, of who Jesus is. So we've heard about the first story of Peter, when Jesus gets into his boat, when Jesus says, yeah, you, ordinary person, the person who there's nothing necessarily special about, I want you, I want you to follow me. And Peter does. And Peter follows Jesus around for his ministry, and there's one point in in, um, in Jesus' ministry where he feeds. You might have heard of it. He feeds five thousand people with like two fish and five loaves of bread. And after that miracle, Jesus puts the disciples in a boat, not literally, but he asks them to get into a boat and then to go back into the same sea, the Sea of Galilee, and to cross over to the other side. And then he doesn't get in the boat. He goes up onto the mountainside and he spends some time in prayer. Now, as a disciple, by then there would have been about 12 of them, I think. They get into this boat and they're like, but the guy who we're following, Jesus, who's just done this amazing miracle, isn't with us. And it's a bit like going, a football team, you know, like going without their manager or something like that. You know, it's a bit like, hang on, we're missing the main man here. But they're, so they're in the Sea of Galilee and uh, the wind starts to pick up. It's nighttime, the boat's being buffeted by the waves, and they are slightly scared. They're terrified of what's happening. Even though they're fishermen, they're skilled on the water, some of them. And and then suddenly, Jesus walks out on the water to them. Now again, Steven Spielberg in your mind, just for a minute. But Jesus walks out on the water to them, and they freak out. They are like, oh my goodness, but they think it's a ghost at first, so they're terrified. They're like, oh, you know, it's a ghost, and then Jesus calls out to them. It's in Matthew 14, by the way, if you want to, if you want to, to check out. Uh, Jesus calls out to me, says, don't worry, it's me. He says, take courage, it is I. And they start to calm down slightly, and then Peter, this guy, steps up again. And he says to Jesus, or he calls out to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter in this moment says, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus on the water. Just imagine it again in your mind, just like stepping out of the boat, walking on water towards jesus and it says peter got down out of the boat walked on water and came towards jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out lord save me lord save me and immediately jesus reached out his hand and he caught him and he says oh you of little faith why did you doubt And they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So Peter goes on this journey where he realizes God is in his boat. He realizes something about Jesus, that Jesus is God. And in this second story of Peter and his boat, he realizes that Jesus is his savior, that God has come to save him. And he's the only one who can. And I love being reminded uh, of the truth that it is only, only Jesus who can save. It's only Jesus who can save. He's, he's the, the only thing we've got to offer the world as his church. Why is he the vision? Why is Jesus the vision? Jesus is the vision of ENC because he's God but because he's the one who can save. He's the answer to the world's problems. When When people are looking at fame or relationships or success or some kind of role in a job or something or anything, grasping at anything to save them, it's only Jesus who can save them. It's only Jesus who can reach in and draw them up out of the water as he has done for those of us who have put our faith in him. It's only Jesus who can do it. Jesus is God and Jesus is the saviour. And Jesus isn't afraid to say that he's the saviour. Jesus, when you look at Jesus in the scriptures, um, uh, some other religions, you you find people pointing away from themselves for the answers. You know, look here, look here, look here. But Jesus is always pointing towards himself as the answer. For those who are hungry and thirsty... He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. For those who are unsure of the truth, he says, I am the truth. He's pointing towards himself again. For those who aren't sure about what to do with their lives, which way to turn, he says, I am the way. It's me. Jesus is the vision. For those who are worried about health or sickness or death, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. It's Jesus. He's the answer. To some of us who are worried that Christianity is just some kind of like list of rules of things that we can't do, things that stop life being fun, he says, I have come that you, may ha- you might have life, and life in all its fullness. I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. Okay, one last picture from Peter's angle to look at. And it's this. In John 21, we get to like the end of the story. So we had the first picture of Peter and his boat from the beginning. Jesus walking on water from the middle. And then John 21 tells us about something that happens towards the end of Jesus' time with Peter on the earth as it were so Jesus has been uh, he's been arrested he's uh, he's been tortured Peter in that moment whilst Jesus is being arrested Peter's denied Jesus three times he's made this like massive error this big mistake where he's he was asked three times on separate occasions aren't you aren't you a friend of this man don't you know Jesus and he says on three separate occasions no I don't know him no he lies no I don't know him And then Jesus has gone to the cross, he's died, he's been buried in the tomb and then three days later he's risen from the tomb, he's risen up from the grave and he starts appearing to the disciples and one of the times he appears to the disciples, Peter is back in a boat on the lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, the same place again and Peter is fishing with the other disciples and they haven't caught anything again. So we're like in the same kind of position as we were in the first story. And this guy appears on the shore and he calls out to the guys who are fishing, hey, have you caught anything? And they shout back like, no, we haven't. And he says, throw your nets on the other side. So they throw their nets on the other side. And the same thing happens that happened in the first story that we read tonight. The fish start to overwhelm the net and suddenly, John realises that's Jesus on the shore. That's Jesus. And Peter, at that moment, jumps out of the boat. And he, he literally wades or swims or whatever, makes his way through the water in order to get near to Jesus. Now, I love, I love this idea that he's so desperate to be Next to Jesus. He's so desperate to be in the proximity of Jesus that he's willing to jump out of a boat in order to get there. And he goes to Jesus, despite knowing that he's carrying this sense of like shame that I denied you three times, he still wants to be close to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus and Jesus affirms him. He like, he, he, like reveals again his love for him. He like reveals his forgiveness for Peter in this moment. And there's like, This moment for Peter that he realizes, oh yeah, like Jesus is God. Jesus is my savior. He's the one who forgives me as well. He's the one who can forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong and everything I ever will do. And I love um, the difference in the picture of Peter, right? At the start in the first story where Peter realizes who Jesus is a little bit of who Jesus is he says Jesus get away from me yeah get out of my boat for I'm a sinful man Moses does the same thing if you read at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God it's like a similar reaction from both Peter and Moses get away from me for I'm a sinful man and yet in John 21 after three years of journeying with Jesus Peter, in spite of his mistakes, the things he's done wrong, he doesn't want to be away from Jesus anymore. He knows the best place to be is in the presence of Jesus, it's with Jesus. And they've gone on the journey, these guys, of becoming friends. Jesus to Peter is not only God, he's not only Savior, he's not only the one who can forgive, he's his friend. Moses goes on the same journey with God, hides his face when he meets God at the burning bush, but if you read 30 chapters later in Exodus 33, it says Moses would talk with God face to face as a man talks with a friend. They became friends. Moses went on the same journey that Peter went on and that we are are invited to go on, to know Jesus as God, as Savior, as forgiver, as friend, and so much more as well. I wish I had more time to unpack, you know, um, who Jesus is. So, how do we begin? How do we begin to go on that journey of following Jesus? Or, how do we continue to go on that journey of following Jesus? Um, I think some of the clue of that is in the, at the end of that first story that we read from luke Do you remember it said that they caught so many fish that the boats began to sink two two boatfuls of fish and then it says that they pulled both boats up on shore left everything and followed him now just imagine what that looks like for a minute if you are a member of that town in that place and you see these fishermen who go out fishing every day and sometimes are not successful as in the story here And suddenly they bring two boatloads of fish onto the beach, unlike anyone's ever seen before. And then they turn and they walk away from them and they follow Jesus. Everyone must be thinking they are nuts. They've just landed like the jackpot, you know. They've just landed enough food to feed their family and probably sell at various places and have a cash supply you know like a huge amount of cash they're leaving behind something that seems so great in some people's eyes for something that they don't know fully yet what it means but it looks better to them than the biggest boatload of fish they've ever seen in their entire lives and that is the ask of Jesus for us isn't it to say well you Lay down your life as I've laid down mine for you. Will you give up everything? Hopes, dreams, aspirations, fears, worries, anxieties. Will you leave it all and follow me? Paul writes in the letter to Galatians, I have been crucified and now Christ lives in me. The life I live is no longer mine but Christ lives in me. Jesus wants to go on that adventure, wants to call us on that adventure of leaving whatever it is for us that that boatload of fish is and trusting totally in him. I remember for me when a little bit more of that clicked and I was about 14 years old, I think, and I I was at school and I walked into a sex education lesson and I knew it was a sex education lesson because um, there were some things on the teacher's desk that I'd never seen before, but I kind of knew what they were. And I was concerned about the lesson because I was embarrassed about think, you know, talking about sex and things like that. But the only seat that was left was right at the front of the classroom. And so I sort of made my way to the front of the classroom and sank down in my chair. And, um, and between that moment, Uh, when George Knight led me to Jesus in that room between the age of about 8 or 9 and the age of 14 I kind of got a growing sense of um, God wants more from me than just me going to church with mum and dad on a Sunday that Jesus if I'm going to follow him um, you know I I want to really follow him but I didn't really want my friends at school to know that I was following Jesus I don't know if anyone else went through a similar, similar phase of sort of being the undercover Christian where you're like when people ask you what you did at the weekend, you, you just leave out anything you did on Sunday uh, or, or about youth group. But in, in, the, in the quiet place, um, I felt like God was really meeting with me. I, lo- I loved reading my Bible and I, I spent some time in prayer. And I, um, I was part of this youth group where they prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill us regularly. And it felt like I was meeting with God. And um, so I was in this in this lesson, this sex education lesson, and my teacher sort of springs up from behind the desk, who had these like round glasses and this like crazy wild orange hair, his name was Mr. Wilson, and he just starts talking about sex, non-stop for about half an hour. And um, yeah, it, I was more and more embarrassed as minute by minute went, went by in this lesson, just sank deeper and deeper into my chair. And then he started asking, because uh, he'd finished the lesson early, like, he wanted to ask us questions. And one of the questions that he asked us, he said, um, who in this room thinks uh, that by the age of 16, which is the legal age of consent, who in this room thinks you'll be ready for a sexual relationship? And I, like, gripped onto the side of my chair in that moment. And I knew from being in youth group, I was like, I think God's design for sex is, like, in the context of marriage. I was like, okay. At 16, I was like doing the maths. I was like, I don't think I'll be married anyway. So I was like a feel, like the intensity of the, um, of like the question. It was, like, it was like a deeper question for me. And I felt like the Lord was just tapping on, me, on my shoulder like, are you ever going to be all in? Like, are you ever going to give me this part of your life, the rest of it? Like, I love the part that you've given me when we're outside of school. When it doesn't necessarily cost you anything. But I want the part that's going to cost you the most. You know, I'd seen one of my friends the year before have to leave the school because he was bullied so badly and intensely for being a Christian. And I was just terrified that was going to happen to me. And so I'm gripping onto the side of the chair in that moment, just thinking like, God, I know you're asking me this question, but I, I can see all my friends putting their hands up around me. You know, out the corner of my eye, being like, Yeah, definitely. You know, of course I'm you know. And before I knew it, I could see out the corner of my eye, pretty much every hand in the classroom was raised. And then there's me, and I, I just remember gripping onto the side of my chair and being like, God, I don't know what this means, but I'm all in. I just give up. I just want to be all in for you. And um and And so I kept my my hand down, Um, and uh, the joyful thing about being in a context like that, where you're in a room full of people who are putting their hands up, is no one really notices if you've kept your hand down. So the lesson continues, and I was like, phew, what a relief, like, wow, I made that statement, you know, but no one saw and then my friend Joe put her hand up at the back of the classroom. I was like, Mr. Wilson, I just wondered why Bob didn't have his hand up in that last question. <laughs> you know, at which point, you know, all the work that Jesus has been doing in you to love people and really love them well just went, and I wanted to kill her, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I just rem- like, remember just turning around to my friends in that moment, and I just said to them... Um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Christian, and I want to follow Jesus, and I think that he has s- said that, like, he wants us to wait for marriage, ideally, for that kind of relationship. And so when I'm 16, I don't think I'll be married, so I don't think I'll be ready for that kind of relationship. And there were, like, audible gasps in the room. Like, oh! And then I was, like, bracing myself for this onslaught of, like, horrific abuse and... Torture that would come afterwards, and um, and it never came. But my friends that started asking me about Jesus, and they started wanting to know, you know, why all these good-looking women on Baywatch, you know, still wouldn't entice me, you know, you know, and they wanted to know, like, where do you go on a Sunday, and what does that mean? And the the, the best conversations I had in that time, um, in school, with two Muslim guys who are fascinated about like a living faith. And um, it was the best decision that I ever made where I felt like, God, you're in my boat, but now it's time to leave the boat. It's time to let go of all the things that I want to hold on to for me and for my security and you know, for my life and I want to follow you. And that is the call for us isn't it? To know Jesus as God, to know Him as Savior, to know Him as the one who wipes away everything we've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong, to live like that, to live as His friends, and to find the courage within us by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to let go of the things that hold us back, to give up ourselves, to give up our lives as he has done for us and to follow him amen amen all right why don't we stand and we'll we'll just pray pray together okay why don't we um why don't we just ask the Holy Spirit just to, to let sink in whatever he wants to sink in from that and to minister into it. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now as we look at Jesus, as you illuminate Jesus in our hearts. Would you come now and stir our spirits, stir our hearts, speak to us afresh.